Hello, and welcome to Network to Code on Network Collective. Today, we're going to be turning the tables a bit, and I'm going to be taking over and talking to Jason Edelman, founder of Network to Code. We're going to be talking about his personal automation journey, how Network to Code came to be, and his take on the industry today. So settle in, and we'll be right back with today's episode. So, hey, Jason, it is uh, good to have you on the show. Um, we've known each other for a few years now. Uh, every once in a while, our paths cross, and so it's great to be uh, talking to you today. Um, I guess we're going to start at the beginning. And uh, for starting at the beginning, I'd like to kind of like hear how you got into networking. <laughs> how did you get into this space, and, and how did that progress to the point where you became the founder of a, of a company that's kind of at the, at the front end of a big trend here in networking? Yeah, no, thanks for having me, Jordan. Really appreciate it. But yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a great question. So we look at like the beginnings of networking and then beginnings of network automation. So we can go, you know, way, way back when. And, you know, the, the story actually, as a first time I ever thought about this, but both my entrance into you know, networking and network automation, you know, started around, around being in college. So I, you know, if I look back to where I was, you know, when I was a young buck, I was ni- 19 years old. I, I uh, was at, you know, my local college with the Stevens in Hoboken, New Jersey, for those that are, you know, that are uh, local. And I came back from, from winter break one year and, you know, somebody handed me uh, the Todd Lamley CCNA Cybex study guide. And it was, it was, a uh, it was, it was pretty crazy because, Never, never been a huge, huge reader, but I started reading it out of his recommendation. I started reading it and I actually think I was remembering every word on every page. It, you know, things were just sticking. It just made sense. And these are practical skills that, that, um, you know, I really desired to have versus the typical courses you know, that we had, you know, way back, way back when. And, you know, that shortly, you know, led to internships and things like that, where I navigated into networking teams. And, you know, sort of fast forward a year or two after college, you know, went to Cisco, you know, joined one of their uh, programs. They call the ASE program as as a, uh, a year long program based in North Carolina. And, you know, that that really became sort of the foundation to get in uh, networking. And now we look now we look at this and maybe call it traditional networking. And, you know, I was I was very much so in that route switch security and wireless space for really the good portion of looking at it now from like 2000, you know, one or two, you know, in college, you know, through, you know, 2014 or so with, you know, the sole focus really just around um, networking, you know, got CCNA, CCMP, CCIE. And you know, that's, that was, you know, my life for the good portion of, of almost 15 years. So what, uh, so what tipped the balance then? Like what, what piqued the interest into the automation piece? Cause obviously that's more what you're doing today than, you know, that traditional legacy networking. Yeah, yeah, no, it's it's you know, it's a good question. You know, I think in 2011 or so, I started blogging, and that's you know likely how we probably met in the first place, or Cisco Live and you know Twitter meetups and all all these all these things. And you know, I had I had a good run. I need to get back to blogging, but I had a really good I had a really good run. Uh, you know, blogging 2011, and I had only started because somebody had sent me a link one night about NYSERA and Open vSwitch, you know, back then and OpenFlow. I thought the industry was going to change overnight and I, I couldn't stop thinking about it. And, and blogging became the outlet for, you know, just kind of getting thoughts on, on paper, you know, so there was a good couple of years. It was, you know, very much, 
overlays and open flow and network virtualization and disaggregation of, of, uh, of systems. And, you know, I would say that really became, you know, became the foundation for thinking that through and really looking at sort of the problems in the space around, around, you know, you know, data plane and, and management plane and, and really, and really, you know, kind of, there's a good couple of years, I would say more or less pontificating on what could be in the future through software-based networking. At the time, you know, I think Viad was getting acquired by Brocade, you had Embrain, and you had Big Switch Launch and Nicira. And, and I was writing articles, I feel like every every day on every one of these startups and a lot of the folks, you know, on those teams I became friends with over the years just because of, of writing, writing about them. So in any case, you kind of fast forward and, you know, really see where the problem space was. You know, in 2000, in 2013, I guess it was 13 or so, I was working for a large, a large reseller, large integrator. And, you know, there's probably, you know, a, a few weeks of a window where we had access to uh, Cisco EFT, an early field trial of, of 1PK, which was, I've said in the past, one of their first, you know, one of their first uh, SDKs. And, and at the same time, like in the same month, let's say I had, you know, my first demo or the first use case of Ansible in networking when they weren't even doing networking yet themselves. And sort of like that became the foundation, even with, again, for me, zero dev experience, zero experience in this space. Like those, you know, those things kind of, you know, drove me to to dive in more. So I have, you know, a lot more stories to kind of, you know, you know, pick, pick those apart to dive into more detail, but that's sort of probably the, you know, the critical events, compelling events that, that really made me take it to, uh, to the next level. You said a couple of interesting things in there. The first is you thought networking was going to change overnight. I kind of like to expand ten on years, that. 10 years later right now. Yeah. yeah, 10 years later, and we're still in the adoption process. We're still figuring out how to do this and do this right. Um, that, that's one of the things that I've had to learn. I've kind of been on a very similar journey, right? Early on in my career, I'd see something new and get super excited about it. And rightfully so. It was new. It was innovative. It was whatever. And you're just worried. You hear it all the time, right? You hear it in networking all the time that like the network engineer is going to go away or whatever. And like there's all these big hyperbolic claims that are just huge. And the reality is that nothing really changes that fast. It's always an iterative process. And it's interesting. Yeah, here a decade later, you're still working the same iterative process. We are light years ahead of where we were when all that stuff was going on. But we've got a long way to go <laughs> to make it all to make it all right. That's that's interesting as well. Now, it, you also mentioned that it all kind of started with with the early days of SDN. Um with you mentioned Nasira and OpenFlow <laughs> and a bunch of other tools, one PK. Um how has, you know, the, those were tools and specific products when we kind of seen a shift towards the idea of using um, frameworks. You, you did mention Ansible in your list of things there, but that was like kind of the first like independent framework <laughs> that you mentioned and it was towards later in the story. Uh, how has that like progressed? I'm kind of curious what your take is on that from vendor specific tools to frameworks and, and in your own journey, like what does that look like? Yeah, no, it's, it's, uh, it's, a, you know, Great point and important point. And, you know, I, I would say, you know, when I, well, for one, it, it became apparent that, you know, the real problem was management and operations. And so, you know, through, you know, I, I really think SDN had a, a critical you know, piece of this again, you know, having you know, made statements, I think Martin Casado from my I, I actually think, you know, 
through through what they were trying to do and and you know the Stanford the Stanford guys, I actually think you know that sort of is the reason why I'm here today. Although although you know we don't have as much focus around uh, open flow and, and packet forwarding and things like that, but I think it really brought to light the notion of controllers. The controllers led to think differently about management of systems and, you know, NSX and ACI, SCWAN, Viptela, and all these other SCWAN platforms that exist today, and then campus controllers, you know, DNA center and, and the like. So I think, I think for one, it was great to see, you know, the rally around just recognizing that ops hasn't changed. And again, you know, the joke you know, that I've said in presentations that I ended up stealing from Big Switch in like 2014, which is crazy to say it's six years ago, but, you know, the joke was, you know, the biggest change in ops has been Telnet SSH. And and I still use some of those some of those slides because the industry moves slow and we can reuse some of our older older content. But for me it was interesting. When I was actually leaving my last job to start Network Code, yeah, I actually tried to convey a lot of what I was uh, gonna do and work on around sort of uh, you know, vendor agnostic on the network side, uh, tool agnostic on the tooling side to leverage programmability and automation, leverage APIs, uh, tools such as Puppet, Chef, Ansible, Salt, and and frameworks uh, frameworks like that, and really, you know, be at the intersection point of development and networking. And it was funny, as I was even giving demos on my way out, just kind of be like, hey, let's say in touch, this is what I'm doing. Like, the questions that I actually, some folks would ask me were, it was like very specific on ACI and NSX. And, you know, so it was like, you know, I really thought, wow, there really is a huge disconnect because I actually didn't even say ACI for the past 30 minutes. The first question was about, you know, ACI or NSX or, or, or some tool. And I was like, no, like, even if you're in these tools, you should think differently about how they're operated. And I remember back then seeing a lot of a lot of collateral and a lot of decks from the vendors where it was like you could choose DevOps and you could say, uh, at the time, you know, Puppet was doing even more than they are today, but you can choose like Puppet or Ansible, or you could choose SDN controller solution. And at the time, I, mean, I just, even back then, I was like, I didn't, I didn't get it because are we trying to say we want folks to minimize the use of the CLI and use a GUI or use a UI? And, you know, quite arguably using a UI is actually more error prone with how many clicks you, you need to do something, you know, configuring a VPC, you could copy and paste six commands in there versus, you know, trying to create a number of, a number of configurations and policies and profiles in the system. So in any case, I think it was apparent for me back then, but I definitely know that, you know, there's been a disconnect and really still is because we're asked all the time, you know, how, what we do or how, what I do integrates with controller A, B, C, D, or an E. And, and the truth is, you know, we want to, you know, we, you know, from back then want to embrace almost, you know, stateless configuration and to be able to version control that in a repository and to be able to, to redeploy a system and to be able to have pipelines and testing and all these, all these great things. So I remember even building a slide deck that I used at Interop in 2015 in New York before they, before they left New York. And I, ha I had that slide, you know, back then where it was, you know, infrastructure as code and these, you know, independent agnostic uh, frameworks, you know, that would communicate to device or controller. You know, even better, if you choose to use uh, controller X and independent device Y, then if you had that interface, you can actually still operate them the same 
you know, it's adding that layer of abstraction to, to do it. So definitely, you know, I, you know, I thank a lot of those folks and, and, and thank the vendors for kind of, you know, helping, you know, getting us here, but I you know, definitely think there's still a gap with device or controller. What are you doing with it? Why are you doing with it? And you know, that's sort of like the real use cases to think about when we look at network automation and, and workflows and, and things like that. Yeah, I feel like I, I feel like the engineers who built the products are sitting here, you know, nodding their head with you, going like, "Yeah, why, why not?" I feel like they, this is almost mostly a marketing problem, right? I think that no marketing group wants to lead with the fact that, hey, the best way to interact with this is through writing some scripts or using an automation framework, because that feels difficult because we're not familiar with it, right? And so the idea is, you know, yeah, sure, you know, we'll 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 pick on ACI specifically. I know ACI is way better managed through an automation interface than through its GUI interface. Its GUI interface can be difficult at times. Its automation interface makes a ton of sense. It's like that's, you can tell that's the way that it was written and that was the idea. Um, but that's not the way that it's marketed because you can buy orchestration tomorrow without having to relearn anything just by by buying this tool. It's, it just doesn't work that way. You don't change culture and process and approach by buying a product that takes time and effort and work. And, and, and so I, I hear what you're saying. I still think we're there. I watch, you know, I work a lot in SD-WAN and a lot of the SD-WAN controllers are are programmable in the sense that you can interface with them from from some sort of external tool to, to do what you need to do. But you don't see a lot about that when it comes to the actual marketing. I still think that that's a gap in our in our industry. It is cool to watch a place like Network to Code kind of bridging that gap, though, because I think you're showing people that it's possible and that's, uh, that's, that's a neat thing. Now, I'd like to kind of shift directions towards Network to Code. Right. So we've talked about your journey and kind of some of the, you know, some of the things that kind of inspired you to go from from nothing to networking to specifically, you know, into automation and starting network to code. What's network to code story like you guys went from I mean, it had to be it went from an idea in your head to today where I think you told me before the call you're approaching 50 employees or something like that. Like it's not a small thing anymore. So give us a bit of that journey. I want to hear about it. Yeah, no, I would uh, love to. It's uh, it never gets tiring talking about you know, talking about the past couple of years every day. Every day is uh, is real real fun. But yeah, so early on, right? So early on, company was started in 2014, right? So that's where you know I had, I had been spending probably maybe nine months, six to nine months diving into development. Uh, you know, again, there's some interesting things that I did to ramp up and try to learn as fast as possible. You know, even, you know, reached out to random students at my old university to, you know, pay him intern money out of pocket me at the library to help teach me, you know, along, along, along the road. So I think that, you know, that was great. And I think what I, going back to what I was, you know, what I was saying, you know, I think in that month period that I mentioned earlier, you know, when I inspected and, and dove into a Cisco one PK and, and, you know, saw Ansible, like for me, like that was the aha moment in 2013, early 2014 to say, you know what, the industry could really change with, with respect to network operations and how networks are, are really managed and operated day to day. So that was the motivation to, to go start the business. And, and as I mentioned, you know, even back then, as I mentioned, a lot of these DevOps tools and processes you know, the questions still came back around tooling. So, you know, I think for me, it was obvious that to even be able to build a company that was focused on services in this space, there needed to be education just to be able to educate 
what's possible. So, you know, early on, one of our first projects was, was building training for what does it even mean to have Python on box? You know, what does it mean to have a RESTful API on a device? What does it mean to, uh, you know, use Ansible and Puppet and DevOps, you know, and version control, you know, network configurations and, and all these things. And so yeah, that became the premise. But the first, the first customer, honestly, what was a vendor? So, you know, we're well known now for, you know, building training and, and training our, our enterprise clients and so on. But early on, you know, we actually, you know, did, you know, quite a bit uh, for, uh, for the vendors and we still do, but it's just not our, our primary uh, target customer base. So, you know, that, that training, you know, led to a lot of Ansible module development. And so when we look at the business, you know, we were hired by several vendors and, you know, some, you know, might never know it was us that, you know, built some of the integrations and modules. But, you know, early on, 2014, Ansible actually didn't have any employees doing networking. You know, there was Arista and Juniper were, were doing a, a bit, but there was no one else. And again, some vendors, you know, saw it was starting to happen. And so you know, that led to some more development in the space. And then gradually, you know, through community and, and through social media, you know, we continued to, uh, you know, to grow. And, you know, as we trained more and more uh, people and, you know, in the space, the, the needs back then were larger organizations, Fortune 500, Fortune 100 even, and some of them were only, a, you know, a few, a few folks strong. And then they started asking about consulting services and things like that. So, you know, by the time we got to 2015 and 16, you know, we were starting to build out our consulting practice. And so, you know, as a business right now, you know, we're still very much focused on network automation, day two ops. Uh, consulting right now is probably, you know, it is, you know, 90, 95% of the business and, you know, training is still, is still, uh, you know, key piece for us because it really, it's really what drives network engineers, right. To be able to make that shift. And, and for one, I never want to forget what it was like to, you know, I, I joke, you know, I used to get you know, scared of a curly bracket, you know, when I would see, you know, when I would see code or even Juniper configs, it was like, whoa, you know, is that, is that code? And it was like, all right, let's take a step back. Let's really, let's really think about, you know, what this, what this is and, and understand it. And uh, yeah, so that really took us to where, to where we are in the past couple of years. It's been, you know, it's, it's been, you know, client after client and, uh, but still very much narrowly focused and the consulting space and, and helping clients on, on this journey, going from about clients say, we, look, we have a hundred network engineers that configure manually today. You know, how can we help them on the journey? And so we do that by crafting programs, lots of lunch and learns, formal training workshops on the training side of the house. But then we also parlay it with, uh, you know, one, one or more network automation consultants to help them. And, and literally, we have clients that have ten plus of our of our team helping helping daily. So you know, it's just it's no it's no easy feat when enterprises want to go on this journey. And so we've crafted programs to really help them help them along along the way. That's cool. Uh, so what, what what does the future look like? I mean, you're continuing to build this practice. You're going to keep investing in on the consulting side. I'm sure. I'm sure training is never going to go away. Is there any other initiatives or things that you're looking at as you go forward? Yeah, for sure. Well, for one, we're always continuing to refine what we do. And so you know, you know, we've gone through this massive growth phase. I feel like in the past twelve uh, past twelve months. So 
uh, you know, very much different now with almost 50 employees than we were at five or 10 or 15, you know, so, you know, we're, you know, doubling down on, on processes and deployment methodologies and, and things like that, just to make sure we're able to, for one, accelerate the time to deliver value to our clients. As an example, you know, we, you know, we are uh, vendor and tool neutral on our side, but, you know, there's still a lot of common patterns and, and even standards. We might get, in, we might, we might get brought in to say customer X already standardized on, on tool X. And we see Ansible quite a bit in the market. And, you know, if, if, Things are chosen as standards. If it's a web framework or if it's an automation tool, you know the goal now is to be able to, you know, have some. It's really to decouple. Sort of, hey, you know, you know, this percentage is the same between clients, so we can start to build a lot more of our framework. So, you know, we've done a good job in the past, the past uh, you know, several months to be able to, you know, build, you know, build uh, reasonable software. Um, you know, we, you know, you might know, but we, you know, we brought on. You know, Jeremy Stretch, you know, last year, you know, who's very well known in the NetBox community and the community in general from his work. And we also have, you know, John Anderson, other maintainer of NetBox. So, you know, we're doing a lot in the NetBox space. So I would say as we grow, we're definitely looking to continue to accelerate what we can do, you know, sales and engineering, because there's still not enough focus in this space. You know, there's still a lot of focus like we we're talking about in the SDN controller space, but it's really about controllers deployed, devices deployed, what are you doing with that every day? You know, again, maybe it's a service now integration, maybe it's a chatbot integration, you know, maybe it's a custom portal to get the data you need so they don't have to log in or give access to, you know, uh, different teams internally. So it's really continuing to, you know, refine, you know, refine processes, um, refine software and, and use cases. And as we go forward, you definitely have, have our, have our eyes, um, you know, set on, uh, you know, things like, open source support. We announced it last year for NetBox, but we're going to you know, start to do it for, for more open source software to be able to provide, provide, uh, you know, those environments and clients that want to, you know, start to have, you know, a bit more control of their, of their environments. Um, but those are some of the things that we have uh, going on. That's cool. Um, so I think, I think it would be a good opportunity to kind of shift the conversation a little bit more now. I think we want to talk about kind of just the market in general. Um, you're spending a lot of time uh, in specifically around automation. And I feel like you probably have a, a very unique perspective and probably more educated than most on on kind of where we said. I know we've covered some of these things as we've gone along, but I think that ultimately, like, I, I really think that there's still a lot of hurdles out there. I think there's a lot of... Um, uh, ideas that are maybe a bit, you know, a bit missing the mark. <laughs> and I just, I just like take an opportunity to say like, what is out there in the market right now? What do you see uh, from your perspective of, of kind of the state of automation and networking and, and where we're headed in that direction? Yeah, no, it's, it's, uh, it's a good question. So, you know, I think from, from where we are, I definitely think we're really close to our clients because all we do is help them consume what they already have. And so like, that's where I really do think, you know, the, the industry is still, you know, broken in that sense. And again, I, I worked for uh, a large manufacturer, a you know, large integrator, and, you know, spent a lot of time, you know, doing architecture and, and design. And so, you know, again, I find, I find it, you know, uh, fun and enriching and valuable to do what we do is really to say, you already, you already have X, 
how do we, you know, how do we help really operationalize it and use it? So I know from, from our standpoint, like we focus a lot on, on, on user experience around, you know, we understand these common use cases and again, use cases, you know, that we're, you know, seeing a lot in the market, you know, again, some of these aren't, aren't uh, rocket science, you know, again, if we look at the horizontal ones across any environment, we're talking about things like backups, right? OS upgrades even, or, you know, changing description on interfaces. Like these are some more of the, you know, more, more basic ones that are, are, uh, or everywhere, or, you know, how do you do mass changes on updating community strings or AAA NTP just to get, get the conversation started. And, uh, and then that slowly dovetails into, you know, firewalls and VIPs and some, into more, more complex, uh, scenarios, you know, but it's like, we have, we have these workflows that, you know, that we define, you know, that are going to be needed no matter again, if it's a controller or not. And then it's really saying based on, you know, the skill set and based on the internal customer, how should you best consume that? And, and again, I often, you know, you know, I'm sure we've heard over our careers not to, you know, pick on Cisco, but like Cisco works right from 20 years ago. And, and, you know, the joke would be, well, we deployed it, but you know, it doesn't use it because it could do something. And so like now like we have to challenge ourselves, you know, as a business to say, if we deploy something, you know, if it's a DevOps tool or any automation tool, commercial or free, open, doesn't really matter. If it's deployed, it, you know, it's it's not a win-win until it's actually used every day. And and I would say that's true for any controller, product, tool, or platform. And so, like, we really try to focus on if you deploy SD WAN, you know, you deploy, you know, you deploy SD WAN and take advantage of what it has to offer, but you want to be able to provide better insight to. You know, maybe maybe just a service desk or help desk to know the status of, of sites. It could be a large retailer that has hundreds and thousands of sites. You know, we've seen a lot of a lack of visibility for teams because network team doesn't want to give access maybe to a service desk or a help desk team. And and again, it could be you know traditional SUN, but you know, we've seen we've seen a lot, you know, in the past several months, a lot of chatbots, a lot of chat ops where the you know the network team can dictate the command within chat and the response, meaning, hey, site's good. And you choose what term, what color you want to get back, but maybe green is, I don't know, there's no loops, all the ports are up, up, and all the APs are up, and you know, there's no, you know, there's no, you know, bad RF at the site. Then maybe amber is a few different things, but only only they would know if it's green, amber, or red, meaning like the service desk would know, hey, it's amber, so something's not not so right. And so they would actually be able to help their clients out with getting access via, you know, via chatbot. So definitely think again, you know, it goes back to understanding what everyone's trying to do with all this infrastructure and how do we, how do we get the right user interfaces like chat as one example, but also ITSM tools talk a lot about service now and change management. A lot of enterprises need change management. And so it's, you know, service now is used a lot these days, but it's all free form text fields. Right, it's free form text fields that you open a ticket for a firewall, and then it takes you four, you know, four to eight meetings to figure out, uh, you know, the the real the real detail. And if it's more of a, you know, if it's more of a, a firmed up form that has requirements, you know, then that those data fields can drive can drive automation independent. Again, commercial tool, open source tool under the cover. So, yeah, still think of what we're seeing, what we're seeing in the market. Still a lot of a lot of gaps with 
the right focus in these areas that are truly agnostic. And so just saying, hey, what are you what are you doing today? Why are you doing it? And document it first. Again, I often joke too that we're not magicians. You know, we, we can't automate what we don't know. And so if if it can't be written on paper, then it's gonna be really, really hard to to automate. And so those are the things that you know, there's so many things that, that could be done, you know, before buying a tool or before adopting a framework and, and so on. So. You brought up brought up a couple of interesting points there. I kind of like to expound on, um, you know, the the first being, you know, actually using the tool that's in front of you, um, using the stuff that you have. I mean, I know from my experience in, in being operations, like we would get, you know, 30, 40 percent of the way there. We'd get it implemented. We get it working and we get just the bare bones amount of visibility into whatever was going on. And then we'd move on to whatever the next thing was. That was just a, a pervasive challenge. Um and then we go back and say, well, we aren't getting our money's worth. Like we're spending all this money on this thing, but we're not getting all the stuff out of it. It's just because it was uh, maybe a lack of focus or discipline or, or I'm not sure what it is. It's really interesting to see the automation approach trying to extract from that. The other thing you mentioned is getting access to data to end users. I feel like this is one of the things where our networking vendors have really failed us. And that's like true role-based access control. Uh, we have, you know, we, we hear about our back on everything, but the reality is, is there's usually three tiers. There's the right tier, there's the read-only tier, and then there's like the the quasi-semi-limited information that you can't really change what they can do tier. It's right. not very granular. It's very hard to deal with. And so it's interesting to see automation taking a role in fixing that problem as well in extracting the data, <laughs> giving giving a bot access to the data so that you know that the bot's not going to do anything that you don't want it exactly. to do, but still getting the data to people who need it, which empowers you know your end users. I do want to ask a question here because a lot of the things you talk about would be uh, very centric or focused on larger businesses. And, and so this is one of those debates that I think is always out there. And I'm just curious about your take. You know, I think a lot of like small to medium sized organizations look at automation and say the value I'd get out of it would be minimal for the effort that would require to get there. And so they're just they're just complacent in doing what they're doing. Is there justification in that statement? Or do you believe that there's a place for automation and orchestration in the way that you guys do it, not just controller based, but the idea of right. going in and setting up frameworks for organizations that may be in that small to mid-size organization? For sure. For sure. You know, I, I think the larger organizations, it's a no-brainer in terms of just because uh, you know, we help support clients that have anywhere from 10,000 to like 70,000 networking devices. And that's not every environment out there, right? So, you know, we totally get, but, th but at the same time, you know, we have a lot of clients that are smaller in, in nature. And it's interesting, right? right now, you know, some of the smaller ones might be very much specialized in, as a business in technology. And so like they need to move quick to, to deploy more, more services. But you know, time to deploy and time to build is, is important. But I would say, you know, what we see in the smaller ones, it usually is not, even in general, it's not always about speed, right? I, I would say in the very, very large ones, it's oftentimes, you know, just trying to make sure that there doesn't need to be linear scale in hiring. You know, you already have 100 engineers. Like, do you really need 200 to be able to, you know, take on some more projects? How about we just keep the current team and, you know, add, you know, add, you know, and add capability to be able to deploy, uh, deploy faster. Now I would say again, the smaller ones, medium ones, definitely predictability and reliability. And you know, I think that's why when we look at these types of environments, 
there's going to be, you know, there's going to be, you know, things that might not make sense when you look at it from the perspective of, you know, speed doesn't matter or they're not doing something over and over again. So it doesn't matter. But at the same time, again, once we have conversations, you know, you know, if it's casual call, whatever kind of conversation it is, you know, there's always something that would be nice to have with automation. It could be predictability, reliability. It could be those small environments. Maybe there's one or two guys or one or two people that support the environment. And you know, then what we then then what we see is you know can can they both go on PTO at the same time or do they have to rotate? And so you know if, if things are automated, like the predictability really means that like you can bring in more talent. Like you can bring in junior talent. You could actually ramp up and make it easier to convey you know what things are doing. And if we use you know some of these terms, you know have it as code. Doesn't need to be code. It could be a template. It could be a template in a UI as an example that an API drives it. But you know, I think the predictability, reliability, top for sure, security compliance, another big one. You know, we definitely had, I would say, smaller clients. Again, due to you know vertical nature, you know, financials, healthcare, you know, legal in the space that very much have to be able to perform certain audits. And, and really, in every vertical, there's usually you know some sort of audit that's taking place, and so it's everything from you know, audit trail, you know, garbage collection on, on firewall rules, you know, which ones aren't being used anymore. Like there's, you know, I feel like in the right conversation in the right setting, you know, I was I was you know again joke, you know, I love thirty minutes, you know, thirty minutes with anyone who says there's no case for automation. And, you know, I feel like we probably outline, you know, 10 use cases and do they want to hear it? Maybe, maybe not. You know, I, I think there's, I think there's always a balance for uh, the personalities as, as well. And, uh, you know, I think if I go back, look at the industry in the past 10 years, you know, I don't know if you know, you know, John Willis, you know, he spent a lot of time, you know, you know, big name in the DevOps community. And he used to tell a story publicly about, about when DevOps first came about, there was always, you know, hypothetical character, you know, so Bob was always in the room and arms was always crossed. And, you know, there's always Bob's scripts, you know, Bob had his scripts, Bob was, Bob, you know, Bob was efficient at what he did, but no one else ran his scripts and Bob was in the office. Then people went back to do manual work and he got involved in networking 2000, you know, 14, 15, you know, then he joked, oh, now, now it's Bill's scripts because now you had a network engineer, you know, arms crossed in the room that you know, maybe they had their mechanisms and, and secure CRT or Perl or Bash, something like that. And, but there were some folks in the room that, you know, were always sort of, you know, a bit more uh, of the naysayers that doesn't make sense. So I definitely think use cases are there. Um, some of them are obvious, some might not be as obvious. Things like automated reporting, right? Things like collecting data and building out documentation, even for a smart net renewal, right? You know, these things are, you know, could be, you know, could be you know, just a no brainer to, uh, to generate. So, you know, I, I think in general, from where we are now in 2020, I think it is 180. You know, if I look back in the past three, four or five years with talks that I've been a part of and conferences and, and uh, you know, sales prospects and clients, that like the quantity of engineers that want to learn is just amazing to see. And again, I give a lot of credit, you know, to Cisco on this, you know, ironically, I feel like, you know, network code and DevNet started at the same time. 
and, you know, same year. And, you know, so we're, on, we're almost on this path together and, you know, seeing like a force like Cisco behind this and the new certs, I actually think it's, it gets people talking and gets people curious and it realizes that, wow, you know, we can actually make a huge impact and, and really change how networks are managed every day. And uh, so I think it's helped, you know, helped the industry culture and, 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 and uh, what we can do just drives the awareness every day. It normalizes it. I, I yeah. couldn't agree more in that um, seeing Cisco because, I mean, you can like them, you can dislike them, you can whatever. But at the end of the day, they are the large enterprise vendor. You know, they are the place, they are the devices that are mostly there. And to see them embracing it, promoting it, and then also, you know, showing you how to do it with their gear. Um, there's some others, other players in the industry who've been doing this a lot longer who might do it even a little bit better, but they haven't done as good of a job of getting it out there and promoting it and getting it as, in front of as many eyes as what DevNet is doing. And so, yeah, I think that especially the past couple of years with as much focus as they're, as they're putting on it um, and, and agreed with the certifications, I mean, just like everything else, the more that, you know, you give people an ability to prove out a skill set. Uh, as good or as bad as a certification may be, it, it, it moves whatever it's proving out in a positive direction. And I think that's there there as well. I agree also on the on the industry. It's been interesting to watch. You know, I'm I'm over 20 years now. When I started, it was, you know, all CLI and nothing else, right? And as as things have progressed, how much automation is playing a role in people's day to day. It's really funny because I got out of ops and I'm in consulting and I try to stay up on everything that's going on. But a lot of my work is theoretical and I'm watching other people just like completely run past me because they're doing this stuff, every, you know, like in, in production every day. And it's like, oh, that's really cool. Like that's uh, it's neat to see it being adopted more and more. I think your use cases are right on too. I think that, you know, that question's a bit leading for me on the big versus small because I think that, at the end of the day, it has nothing to do with about the size of the organization. It's what you're trying to accomplish, right? And and to me, the automation, at least the stuff that I've written, has never been about hitting tens of thousands of devices. It's always been about hitting a dozen or two dozen or a couple hundred. You could expand it to tens of thousands if you needed to, right? But the idea is, is I'm trying to collect that information. I'm trying to get, you know, what I need back or I'm trying to execute a change. And in, you know, being able to do that with consistency is important, being able to do that reliably, being able to know what I've hit and what I haven't hit. Like it's all it's all uh, so many interesting use cases. So I, I think I'm going to end the show with one last question. Maybe you've already identified it. And if you have, just say so. I want to know what the biggest myth is. What's what's the thing that's hanging out there that is the biggest myth about network automation? Something that if you could if you could get on your soapbox every day. And, and scream from the top of your lungs and be heard. What is that thing? What is the thing that people are out there that have an opinion uh, about networking or about network automation and orchestration you know, through the way that you do it? What do you think people are getting wrong still uh, that needs to be corrected? Wow. Putting yeah, you on the spot, I know. I'm going to give you a second to yeah. think. I tried to make yeah. the question as long as possible so that you could. Yeah, uh, <laughs> I appreciate it. Um, yeah, no, it's, I can answer it probably two different ways to think about it. One, I, and I, I mean – from leadership's perspective, meaning, you know, as we engage with a lot of our clients and, you know, see the industry, you know, there's, and I've said this in the past, you know, publicly, but, you know, one of the myths is that network automation is easy and you can just deploy a product or a tool to get automation. You know, definitely, you know, I think it's a myth. And I think, I guess there's two myths in there. You know, one that is quick and easy, one that a single tool can, can do it. And, and both of those, you know, I think, you know, organizations have to realize it takes time and it takes investment with 
people, technology, process, all, all three. And, and I say that again, from, from our experience that I think you can actually have really quick value or immediate value through what we call quick wins. I think that's possible, but to really have holistic network automation across, you know, land, WAN, campus, DMZ, firewall, what about all these things, you know, it, it, uh, it takes time because, you know, there's just a lot going on in, in enterprises, you know, that would do it. And same for tools, right? I would say, you know, a lot of great tools out there, again, open source and commercial. And, you know, myth is that, you know, deploying one fixes things. And again, I, I always bring up tool integrations, meaning, hey, if you want to everything from how do you onboard a device to all of your IT tools, right? You know, how do you, you know, if you have three or four network management tools, uh, you have thousand eyes, you have all, all the, you know, you have Kentech, you have all these tools, you have SD-WAN, you have ACI, you have DNA. Let's say you have four, you know, three controllers and how do you, how do you do that, you know? A, a single tool because that tool has to touch other tools and maybe you want to do that through service now or, you know, get visibility via chat. So I think integrations, again, yeah, I think that is a critical part in understanding what's happening as a myth. You know, that's more on, I would say, organizational. And then on the engineering side, I would say myth, myth slash advice is just, uh, you know, try to put a, you know, put a line in the sand and, and stick with something to be able to deliver value to the business. And I say that because there's a lot of, there's always going to be the next new tool. And so I think, I, you know, I think, you know, you know, from, you know, myths, when we look at, you know, it could be speed, right. To deployment or, you know, it could be uh, you know, speed. It could be uh, scale. A lot of these things, actually, you know, one of our, of our guys, you know, Ken Salenzo, who you, know, who you know, has been on the podcast before. I think he, you know, he wrote a blog recently, talked about one of our clients around, they were a large client, but you can look at Ansible as an example. It's gaining a lot of traction still. And, but it's also known to be not like the fastest tool out there in networking. But when you look at going from nothing to something, it's really, you know, sitting back and, and being okay with it. It's almost like container versus VM. You know, do we need everything containers today or you know, VMs are still magnificent with what they do in, in a given environment. So I definitely think, you know, sticking with the tool, solving use cases and, you know, along the journey, you know, if you're nine months in or a year in delivering, you know, not to necessarily get caught up with the shortcomings, because I would say with any tool, it should be extensible, it should be able to extend it to add what you need to add, again, commercial or open source. But I think that's key. You definitely see, uh, again, I would say uh, a lack of, of focus around and on, all, on all parties, TCO, um, operational models. Hey, you know, if you have a team of, of 15 network engineers, but only one network automation person or developer, if the developer builds for them, it's a lose-lose because they have to build for the network engineers. So I think thinking that through and not getting caught up, not getting caught up on the next best tool is important. So maybe, you know, quasi myth, quasi word of advice there. I think it's just important to, to not chase, you know, some, you know, you know, some of the shiny bells and really kind of, you know, focus on, on the use cases. Engineers yeah. are great at that. We love the bright, <laughs> shiny new thing. Let's do that thing. 
Um, but just like we discussed earlier in the show, uh, it's very rare that the bright, shiny new thing is actually what takes over quick. There's time. You don't have to do it right away. It's good to put that in your learning path to figure out what's going on, but keep using the tool that you have that's delivering you value. Uh, because the reality is, is that it's not going to change overnight. There's nothing. You're not going to be out of a job. <laughs> You're not going to be behind everybody else. Take your time. This is a slow, steady race. Like, let's just, uh, you know, do what needs to be done. And uh, so, yeah, so I think, um, uh, well, before we close out, there's a bit of, of a housekeeping I do want to bring up. So uh, so this was a, a fun, you know, like I said, we kind of, in the intro, we turned the tables a bit uh, with with me, Jordan, from, you know, Network Collective, kind of taking the, the reins as hosting uh, the Network to Code's uh, podcast on Network Collective. Uh, but going forward, that's going to be Jason. <laughs> so, uh, so Jason's going to be uh, talking with different people in the industry, bringing up different topics. He's going to be hosting uh, Network Dakota Network Collective. So that's cool. I'm looking forward to a lot of that great content. Uh, what's come out of it already <laughs> has been fantastic. We've got, I think this is the fourth or the fifth episode that we've done so far, and and everything has been top notch. It's been it's been really really good content. So I'm excited to see what continues to come from that. And so, uh, if you if you liked what Jason had to say, there's going to be a lot more coming. <laughs> yeah, I'm looking, so, uh, looking forward to it. So stay tuned. Um, if you want to find out more about what Network to Code is doing, you can definitely head to networktocode.com. If you are on the automation journey and you would love to be part of a community of people who are doing a lot of the similar things, uh, Network to Code has hands down the best Slack community out there. Uh, for that purpose of, of meeting with peers who are doing the same thing, I think that's uh, slack.networktocode.com. You can sign up and self-register for that. Uh, it's definitely a place you want to be. If you enjoy this podcast, you can find a lot more like it. Uh, you can find out how to subscribe and all of that at uh, networkcollective.com. And just want to say thanks for listening, and we will see you next time.